When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. I will dance. I will dance. I will dance like David danced. Like David danced. In her, in her 2020, 2010 collection of poems, Alice Walker, most infamously known for her seminal work, The Color Purple, tells the story of harrowing trauma tumultuous and beautiful life events and the ongoing struggle to persevere in the midst of calamity and uncertainty. In the foreword of Walker's book, Shiloh McLeod gives insight into her life. Alice Walker's journey includes the death of loved ones and the birth of new ideas. McLeod says the sorrow of rejection and the deliciousness of love the challenges of our world and its blessings, familial abandonment, and what it means to belong to the greater world family. We are witness, McLeod says, to the self-confidence that so profoundly distinguishes Alice's work, her ability to take that which is heart-wrenchingly sad and to weave a resolution that leaves the poem with a way to be with that sorrow instead of drowning in it. Walker herself details the grief and the suffering, the challenges that she and many in her family have experienced over their lifetimes. Mental health crises, war, poverty, environmental devastation. And Walker lets us know that through it all, she has learned to dance. It isn't that I didn't know how to dance before, Walker says. Everyone in my community knew how to dance, even those with several left feet. Some of you may identify. We are open to all here. Walker says, I just didn't know how basic dancing was for maintaining balance. Whether Walker's use of dance is literal or merely a metaphor for the various ways we may find hope and balance amidst chronic suffering and injustice, she reminds us ever so gently that hard times require furious dancing. Hard times require furious dancing and each of us is the proof, she says. Now, you may be looking at me strangely thinking, Mia, I don't do that. I don't dance. I have two left feet. I'm not a dancer. That's for those people over there. I don't do that. And certainly there are more of you thinking, I don't do that in here. 
I don't do that in church. Well, after the year and a half that we've been through, after the turmoil and the isolation, the uncertainty, the defeat for some of us, the depression, the anxiety, the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness, we could all use a little dancing, right, Beth? We could all use a little dancing. We could all use something that makes us change our position, adjust our rhythm, learn flexibility in a world full of rigidity. It is in the depths of our despair that we realize that our inability to dance, to shift, to change is a hindrance to our healing. It is a hindrance to our growth. The disruption of dance, the nakedness of our spirituality may be our only way forward as we begin to build something new. It is not a coincidence that one of the reasons the breakthrough app TikTok blew up in the pandemic is because of the viral videos of people dancing dancing in their homes, dancing in the streets, dancing to connect and reconnect with others, dancing to distress, to deal with their isolation, to find some joy and healing amidst the agony. The furious dancing was not a solution to the perils of the pandemic. It couldn't solve all of the medical and governmental catastrophes, but it was an ongoing resolution to carve out pieces of procreative joy that might bring bountiful blessings in the face of brokenness. The morning gave way to dancing. And similarly, amidst agony and the perils of ongoing political and cultural warfare, we meet King David today. David the musician, David the shepherd, David the psalmist, the overlooked son of Jesse who becomes king of a united monarchy of Israel and Judah. We meet David dancing furiously, dancing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem where it would find a new home and bring forth blessings on David's house and all of Israel. And to understand David's furious exuberance and the undeniable importance of this moment, one would have to look back to comprehend the legacy of suffering that David's people had been through time and again and the reverence for the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant constructed under Moses' leadership while the Israelites were in exile at Sinai contained the first tablets of the commandments. Now, there are many arguments among scholars and rabbis regarding whether there were two separate arcs for each of the two tablets or if it was one they stored in one ark. We will never know. But regardless, the ark was more than a storage unit or an object to be worshipped. In general, Judaism rejects physical manifestations of spirituality, preferring instead to focus on actions and principles. But the ark of the covenant was an exception. It was a tangible representation of their relationship with God. It represented the Shekinah, God's presence throughout creation, the expectation of theophany that God would show up in the presence of their enemies. 
As the years went on, as generations were born and others passed away, the ark became a reminder that the same God who was with them in the wilderness, in their weariness, would be the same God walking beside them as they continued experiencing the ups and the downs of life, the oppression and the freedom, war and peace, death and birth, sorrow and joy. Now, we are not all credo people in here, and uh, even those fascinated with iconography, but if there were ever a time we needed an ark in our lives, it would be now. Not because it would guarantee prosperity or protection from every danger, toil, and snare, but because it would be a reminder that the God who was with us in March 2020 is the God who is with us now. That the one who saw us in our isolation and separation is the one who is seeing us through our regathering and reunification, our rebuilding and rebirthing. It is no surprise that the Ark's reputation preceded it. After being captured and returned by the Philistines, the Ark found a temporary home until transition of leadership from King Saul to King David. In an effort to unite the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, David sets up Jerusalem as not only the political center of Israel, but relocates the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem so that Jerusalem would also be the center for spiritual unity and regathering. Now, for some of you in here, it's hard to understand this move of David. You may still be living under the assumption that there is a separation of church and state. The dismemberment of our Western ideologies would have us believe that we can compartmentalize everything from our politics to our faith to the way we eat, dress, and move through the world. But David though self-serving at times, understood that his power was connected to God's provision, that the protection of his people couldn't be dependent on land and culture politics alone, but on divine encounters in the face of unbelievable circumstances. David gathers the tribes of Israel, 30,000 men, the text says, puts the ark on a wagon and sets out for Jerusalem. Now, there are some snafus along the way. The oxen stumble, those oxen. The ark almost falls. Somebody touches the ark who isn't supposed to touch the ark. They die. Things, things happen. So, so the ark is temporarily stored at the house of Obed-Edom while they try to figure all of this out. And Obed-Edom's people are blessed greatly in the presence of the ark. David hears how they have been blessed and wants to ensure that same blessing for his house and the people of Israel. So David and the tribes, they carry the ark on their shoulders from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, its final home. And as they enter Jerusalem, the text says David, wearing a revealing apron-like linen skirt, dances furiously before the Lord with all his might. Eugene Peterson says he danced with great abandon. 
Another translation says he was leaping and twirling before the Lord. Some Midrashim say David even danced out of his clothes. Now, I don't know about all of that. <laughs> David dances before the Lord, not because he had been blessed yet, but because he saw somebody else be blessed in the presence of the ark. And he is expectant of a blessing. He is expecting provision and protection. His prophetic frenzy may seem out of place. And in fact, some thought it was. One of David's many wives, Michal, even scoffed at his suggestive dancing, scolding him about it later on. This was not an everyday occasion. This reunification of Judah and Israel the journey of the ark, the dancing, was a disruption of the status quo. And, and we can't fully grasp the psalmist's dancing without understanding his fears and his lamentation. We can't fully grasp his frenzy without understanding his fury. This is the same David who, in the face of ongoing suffering, writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the man who, when Saul had tried to kill him, cries out in Psalm 59, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. This is the man who writes in Psalm 142, save me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. The man who tells of his expectation of God, who will prepare a table before him in the presence of his enemies. David, the one who was in the valley of the shadow of death, dances before God amidst the shouts of his people and the sound of trumpets. It reminds me of a memorable scene in the film version of Toni Morrison's Beloved. The late Bea Richards, portraying the character Baby Sook, stands in what Morrison calls a wide open place cut deep in the woods nobody knew. Baby, Baby Sook stands in the center of a clearing and calls forth the people. She invites, or more accurately, commands them to dance to laugh, to cry, out in the backwoods of a southern plantation, away from the slave owners. Baby Suggs ushers in furious dancing. Let the mothers hear you laugh, she tells the children. Let your children see you dance, she demands of the men. Cry for the living and the dead, she tells the woman. Dance, laugh, cry, dance, laugh cry away from the suffocating injustices and the devaluing of the black body on the southern plantation, Suggs proclaims that in this here place, we flesh, flesh that weeps, laughs, flesh that dances on bare feet in grass, flesh that needs to be loved, feet that need to rest and to dance feet that need to dance. David had feet that needed to dance, and baby Suggs understood that. 
She understood that hard times require furious dancing. Hard times require a furious disruption of the status quo for the sake of life and what Walker calls balance. Hard times require us to do some things we've never done before, to lean into some things that make us uncomfortable, to do church and community in ways we have never imagined, to explore the bounds of our flesh and a society that is hell-bent on dismembering us, hell-bent on ripping us apart with foolishness. Furthermore, David is not only dancing before the Lord because he is expecting something from God. David dances because he is remembering himself. He dances because he is remembering past provisions and past protections. When we dance, we are remembering ourselves. We are remembering our bodies in a culture that has disembodied us. We are putting pieces of ourselves back together again after 16 months of estrangement. We are remembering the muscles we've forgotten existed, the gifts and the talents that help make communities like this happen and flourish. We are disrupting dangerously sedentary status quos. We are disrupting a passive existence that prefers stagnation over liberation. When we dance, we are uniting and reuniting. We are remembering the power of God that works in each and every one of us. And I don't know about you today, but like the great psalmist Whitney Houston said, I want to dance with somebody. I want to disrupt with somebody. I want to remember with somebody for the sake of life and balance, for the sake of giving birth to a new beloved community. Even amidst our fears and our tears, our griefs and our sorrows, we dance. And the text says, after David dances, he brings the Ark of the Covenant up to the tent. He gives offerings to God, and then he blesses the people of Israel. The writers say he leaves the tent and he distributes among the people a loaf of bread, dates, and raisins. Because the blessing on his house isn't just for his house. It is for all the people, the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, the old and the young. He blesses the people. My favorite part of that, that story is for, for those of you who know about priestly activity, ancient priestly activity, you can only enter that room if you were ordained to do so. So the fact that he leaves the tent, he steps down off of the hill to bless the people is significant. Because justice is an embodied act. And today I am stepping away from the tent so that I can share my dancing with you. I come to share the blessing with you, a blessing that 
transcends material things. Lord knows we live in a capitalist and consumerist society that is in bed with the prosperity gospel. We think of blessings as fancy cars and homes too big for our families, but perhaps the blessing is joy in the midst of sorrow for those of you who can even admit that you are feeling sorrow and grief. The blessing is comfort in the face of uncertainty, innovation in the face of tradition. David dances not just for himself, but for the people, those who scoffed and those who celebrated with him. David's dancing like the dancing of baby Sug's people in the beloved is an act of resistance and resilience. The dancing says, to us in this here place, we flesh. It says, even if God never works another miracle in my life, I am remembering. I will not leave this world dismembered, disembodied, disenfranchised, and bound. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I will dance. Beloved, could you dance before the Lord today? And not just dance because you're worshiping an inanimate object in the sanctuary or performing for spectators. Could you dance? Because when you look back over your life and connect the theophonic dots of God's grace and mercy, something takes over your body, if only for a moment, to help you find balance in a rocky world. Could you dance? David knew that the battles were far from over. He and his people just happened to be between wildernesses. They understood that they were between exiles. They came out of one and they were going to go right back into another one. Another exile would surely come. Another wave of this pandemic might come. Another wave of grief, another wave of sorrow will come. But in the meantime, could you dance? Could you sing? Could you shout that every day something tried to kill you and has failed? When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David danced. You can sing with me if you want. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon my heart, I will dance like David dance I will dance I will dance I will dance like David dance I will dance I will dance I will dance like David May it be so. Amen.